What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth, finance, and business. Before we introduce today's guest, my man, Eric, who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Thank you, Corey. I appreciate that. Uh, Today's spotlight, I want to showcase a brother that many of us may know, but if you don't know him, I'm pretty sure you will know his name very soon. This guy's name is Byron Allen. Byron Allen is a brother who started out as a comedian, and now he has been, he's now a major media mogul in the broadcasting business. Byron Allen founded his broadcast business in 1993. This brother now owns 36 stations in 21 markets, as well as 12 other 24-hour HD networks, which includes the Weather Channel that he recently purchased and a free streaming networks like Grio and Sports TV. Now his company, like I said, has been on a buying spree lately, investing more than $1 billion over the last past two years to purchase network affiliates across the nation. He's also on a path, and it's been confirmed that he's moved to buy the Denver Broncos. So let me tell you another big thing. On August 16th, his media company officially announced that they're signing a separate distribution partnership with the SWAC in the CIA, which most of us are HBCU graduates or know someone that attended the HBCU. So this major huge, the app that he's using now that he's purchased called HBCU Go. And that's gonna distribute the conference content over CBS owned and operated stations. And also with HBCU Go, he has secured distribution with group owned television stations, which includes Nextstar Media, which is my employer right now who I work for. Gray, Cox, Scripps, Tegna, Sinclair, Lockwood, and Allen Media Broadcasting. It also includes Hearst, Circle City Broadcasting, McKinnon Broadcasting, Cowles, Graham, Block, Sun Broadcasting, and um, Margin. Now, with this, these games will be some of the first games that would be on digital broadcast and on cable simultaneously. Allen noted, so this would be a streaming app, as I mentioned before, with HBCU Go. So, most of these games, which includes FAMU, Bethune Cookman, AM, Alabama AM, and other schools, we get to see their schools on television. And that's the little thing about Byron Allen. Now back to you, Corey. Hey man, you've been slaying these um Black Men Sunday spotlights lately, bro. I just want to salute you, Eric. Thanks again. But let's go on and introduce today's guest, man. We have Lester Jones on Black Men Sundays. His brother has a Bachelor of Science, Math and Computer Science degree from Athens State in Alabama. So yeah, Eric, this brother from Alabama. So you're going to love this. And I don't think he's too far from Hunts Vegas, by the way. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, man. This brother worked seven years as a systems analyst. This brother has over 25 years experience assisting clients with over check this fellas 100 million dollars in investment assets this brother trains supervisors this brother is a financial advisor he specializes in retirement planning and wealth accumulation and you know we talking about generational wealth finance lester welcome to black men sundays brother how you doing today i am doing great Corey. man i really appreciate this opportunity to come and be with you on this. You guys are doing an outstanding job helping our community, man. I'm just glad to be a part of it. No, definitely, man. And let's let's get straight to it, man. You know, we talk money on Black Men's Sundays. We talk finance and business. So let's get right to it, man. A lot of us brothers, we love to spend money. We love to enjoy time with our family. But when it comes to saving, when it comes to investing, when it comes to creating emergency funds, when it comes to Roth IRAs, it turns into crickets. 
So I just need you to elaborate on the importance of creating these funds at a young age. That's a great question. And that's that was something that I really stress to people. And that's a big thing that I do going across the country. I go into high schools, I go into churches in every avenue that I can teaching young people about the importance of starting early because I wasn't taught that as a child. I wasn't exposed to those kind of concepts as a child. And even as a young adult, when I got my first job working as a, a systems analyst, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, you know, all I thought was, man, if I could just go get this good job, you know, and if I could make pretty good money, then man, everything is gonna be great. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be rolling. And, but the problem is what I didn't know is that it's not about how much money that you make, it's how much money that you're able to keep. And then what you do with that money that you keep is what's gonna determine what your future is gonna look like down the road. So it was, it was later when I got exposed to some of these financial concepts and then it just blew me away, man. Cause I'm just like, wow, what I, one of the things I learned is that man, until you learn to master money, money will always be your master. And so that was something that has stuck with me forever. And that's one of the things I always want to try to teach young people starting out, including starting out with my own children, teaching them um, the importance of getting started early. One of the big concepts there, Corey, is talking about the time value of money, because you, it's, it's one thing to just say, well, hey, you know, I'm going to start saving, but, but I'm going to blow all my money when I'm young. But then when I get to 40 and 50, then I get serious about starting saving money. But you don't understand just what you have lost in the early stages just by not understanding compound interest. Let me give you a quick example. So if a person was just 22 years old, starting at 22 years old, like my daughter right now, uh, she's 22 years old, got a job, and I'm trying to impress upon her, this is why you want to really start investing right now. Um, because look, if she just started doing $5,500 a year, just under what it, and we're going to talk about this in just a second, about just maximize, just maxing out a Roth IRA. And I'm going to elaborate on that. Just maxing out a Roth IRA starting at age 22. But now watch this. If she did that from 22 to age 29 and then just stopped, didn't save another dime after that. So what is that? Eight years that she has saved that 5,500. So by the time that she reached retirement age or social security age, like 67. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to give you a little, little quiz. Now, now I'm going to compare that to another person. Now, watch this. If she started at 22 and stopped saving at 29, but then you had another person that picked up the next year, started at age 30 and did $5,500 every single year to age 67. So now they put in $5,500 for 38 years. Who do you think is going to end up with more money at the end? The one that did 5,500 for eight or the one that did 5,500 for 38? Which one's going to end up with more money? Well, let me help you with that because I don't want you to have to do any math. The one that started at 22 and stopped at 29, their total investment, Corey, is only $44,000. At the end, they would have over $2 million. That's $2,030,000 that they would have at the end at age 67 at retirement. But the person who waited until age 30 and then and invested every year until age 67, they would end up with $1.8 million. But they put in over $200,000, $209,000 and ended up with less money than the person that just did $5,500 from 22 to age 29. Now, if you really want to get blown away, imagine if they had just kept going. 
if they had kept putting in that $5,500 a year and didn't stop at 29, they continue to do that at age 67. Imagine what that would look like. So guys, the time value of money is so critically important. So the earlier that you start, man, it just changes the whole game for a person in terms of accumulating wealth. Yeah, great information, Lester. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, man. And as I was doing a little research on you, I noticed uh, you and your wife were actually inducted into Primerica's African-American Leadership Council, which represents the top income earners. So can you just elaborate on how that came into fruition? That's very interesting. Yeah, thank you. And our company is kind of unique that, that one of the biggest focuses that they really emphasize in our company is about ownership, about being full, being a full owner. So that is that was something that changed my mindset early on when I invested, because I'll just be honest, you know, when when I graduated from high school and through college, my main goal was just to say, if I could just go get a good job and move into management and have a nice title. And man, that's when we think that we have arrived. If we got a really nice title. Right. And we got, you, you know, but nobody ever talked to me about ownership. What does that actually mean? Because I can have a really good job. And making six figures, making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year, but when that job stops, that income stops. So if I started out as a, you know, as a, you know, when I first got out of college, and let's just say I started out making forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, and then by the time that I finished my career, now I'm making two hundred thousand, let's just say, okay. But now watch what happens. But because I only have a job, when that ends, then that's the end of that that income. But what if I owned a business? If I have over that 30-year working period, a 40-year working period, if I have owned a business and created that business to where when I stop, the income does not, that residual income continues to come, then guess what happens? See, now my daughter that's that's 22 now, when I leave here, her, you know, she don't start at, at 40,000. She's starting at where my income left off. So if you're as you know, that's what we've got to be looking at is that when you start passing on that generational wealth, you know, their life starts where mine ends. So if I'm making a million dollars a year, they start at a million dollars a year. You can't do that working a job. So in our company, they really stress that being a full owner. So once we become a full owner in our company, so now everything that, and that's the cool thing about in the investment business that we can build the residual income through building assets under management. Like you mentioned, that now I've been blessed to have over $100 million. That's a major milestone as being a financial advisor of building um, assets to where you manage over $100 million. Not a lot of people get to that point. So I'm very blessed to actually achieve that because what that really significant, what's significant about that is the residual income that comes from that, that continues to go well beyond me. Because so when I die, as long as somebody in my family has that license, to continue that. That income continues to go on to my wife. And then when she passes, that income continues to go on to my children and to my children's children. That's the whole benefit of ownership. And I'm glad that you're talking about that because that's one of the things that, that I think that we just don't have enough conversations about in terms of owning something versus renting a paycheck, which is what you get when you have a job. Hey, this is Commissioner Scott from Atlanta, Georgia. Got a couple of questions, but one, uh, could you explain a little bit more about how you actually got full ownership of, at your company? Because a lot of people here at Primerica and they don't really understand that they actually have options to be a full owner. So could you explain that a little bit more? 
Yeah, great question. So, and there's a lot of different types of business models, but you mentioned specifically in our company with Primerica, um, there's the, one way to do that is that when your income reaches 300,000 um, in income, then you consider a full owner in the company. And when you become a regional vice president and your income reaches a $300,000 level, now there's other ways that you can achieve it as well. But the simplest way to do, to do that, I'm not saying the easiest way, I'm just saying the simplest route to get there is to become a regional vice president and get your income to $300,000 uh, annually. And then you have full ownership in your company. And then it's just a matter of from there is how your company is built. It then determines how much your company is worth. So you can own something and have and still have no value. So I don't want to get I don't want to get it twisted just because I can I can go out and say, hey, I own my vehicle. But if it's a 1979 Ford Pinto, then it just because I own it, that don't mean it has value. So everything in, in building any type of business is building a business that has value that you can pass on into the next generation and that and that will continue to rise in value. And that's what building any type of business is all about. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. So this is a realistic question because I personally grew up in the projects in Newport News and low-income housing, right? Uh, I saw a lot of smart kids, uh, intelligent kids, that if they had parents thinking about their future, they probably could have not been locked up, not in jail, not selling drugs, right? Here's the question. For those single-parent mothers or parents living in low-income housing, how can getting a 529 plan help them offset some of their, children, their children's future college expenses it really set them up uh, for success in education if that's the route they choose. Yeah, man, that's a great, great question right there because, you know, you mentioned how you grew up. I'll be honest with you, Doc, the way I grew up, it would have been, it would have been an uh, increase for me to get in project housing, <laughs> okay? I'd have been like, wow, man, we get to go to the project? <laughs> that's, that's amazing, right? Because I don't even want to tell you how I how I grew up, how, you know, just how poor that we were from a financial standpoint, you know, growing up. Um, so I was I just give you this little tidbit, brother. I was 19 years old before I ever lived in a home that had indoor plumbing. So at least in the project, you know, you had a bathroom to go into. I didn't even have that. I had to go outside to use the bathroom. OK, we had. So but anyway just using that as a backdrop. So I'm telling you that to tell you, I understand when we start talking to people that come from an humble beginning and trying to figure out how can I do things better? One of the things that I am very emphasized to people is that to understand is that poor is, is a mindset. You know, it is, that's what we've got to really start to break through in our black community. You know, we can be economically challenged, which is what I was which is what you were. You wouldn't be sitting here today just because you were economically challenged as a child, but you didn't have, have a poor mindset. You see that poor mindset is what's gonna keep you economically challenged. So even so where you are, when you start thinking beyond your circumstances, and then you can start to be able to see just because that's where I am right now, that is not where I'm going to be. So now that's going to have that hunger in you to where you start saying, but what must I do to make things different? And so as you just mentioned, that single mom or whoever that might be that's starting right there, well, as a parent myself, we're always thinking in terms of we want the next generation to be better than where we are. 
And so I have I, I, I work with a lot of parents that, you know, where their kids have graduated from college and they ended up with, with 50,000, 100,000, and even some but over $200,000 in student loan debt. And now they spend the next half of their life just trying to pay off their debt. So one of the things that I help them with is to say, but what if you just started right here? Okay, let me give you a quickie. Let me give you a quick example. Okay, this is what I'm doing for my own grandson. So as soon as he turned, as soon as he was old enough to get a social security number, right? Um, at 14 days old, I started him an investment. I started him a mutual fund investment. And here's why, okay? Because see, if you're, there's two things you want to understand about money, okay? Two things you want to know if you want to start saving money. The first one is, what kind of interest rate am I getting on my money? That's the first thing. The second thing you want to know is that how long would it take my money to double at that rate of interest? So let's, let, let's, let's look at that a little bit further. So if you know your interest rate, the next thing, how long would it take my money to double? So for instance, if I take my money, I talk to this mom and I tell her, hey, just start saving some money and put it in the bank. Okay, well, what kind of, the first question she want to ask, what's my interest rate am I going to be getting on my money? So we know that's going to be extremely low, less than 1%. But let's just say if you was getting 1%, just to make math easy, okay? So there's this rule called the rule of 72, which explains compound interest. So the rule of 72 says, if you want to know how long it takes your money to double, take the interest rate and divide it into the number 72. Then the answer tells you how many years it takes your money to double at that interest rate. Well, Lester, you just said a whole bunch of, man, make that simple for me. Okay, well, let's take a look. If you was getting 1% interest, well, if you divide one into 72, that goes 72 times. So that means then it would take 72 years for your money to double one time if I got my money earning 1% sitting in the bank, okay? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I got a whole lot of doubling peers left, you know, at that rate of return. So that means that there's no way I can save my way to wealth. That's what I want you to understand. You must be investing. You have to invest because you don't have, we're not going to live long enough. We're, not, we're no longer in the Moses you know, era anymore, okay? We're not in the Old Testament in the Bible. We're not going to live 500 years. So we've got to start investing so we can get more doubling periods. So for instance, if I was getting a 12% rate of return on my money, well, 12 goes into 72 six times. So that means, brother, every every six years, my money is going to double if I could average a 12% return. What you say? Listen, watch this. So let me show you how big a deal that is. You see, so if I started with $10,000, you know, every six years, my money is going to double. But now, but what if you're like me, when I got started at 22, 25, I didn't have $10,000 to double. I mean, I had $10,000 put in investment, so I'm just like, well, again, that leave people like me out. So what am I supposed to do? I don't have $10,000. But watch this, though. What if you could just start putting away a little bit every month? You didn't start with $1,000. you are not starting with $10,000. What if you could just start saving $50 a month, $100 a month? And like I mentioned, so for people, so here's a key. Here's a nugget for you right here. For anybody that's 30 and under, your key number is 250 a month. If you can start investing $250 a month, 30 and under, man, it's going to change your life. You're going to be a wealth from that, okay? So now, let me show you. Let me, let, let me break this down for you real quick. So like I mentioned, so here's another little rule. I want you to write this one down. It says, whatever amount of money you save on a monthly basis, if you can average a 12% return, now, notice I said, Corey, if you average 12, 
That don't mean that you got to get 12% every year. Some years you're going to get more, some years you're going to get less. But let's just say if you could average a 12% return, then all you do is just add three zeros to what you were saving, and that's how much money you'd have after 20 years. How about that? Now, let's break it. Let me take it one more step, okay? So now, if I started, what I, if I was 25 years old and I started saving $250 a month, so based on that rule, in 20 years, all I got to do is add three zeros to that. And now I got $250,000, okay, at age, at age what? It's 25, so that'd be 45 years old. I got $250,000. Again, let's just say I stopped saving right there. Didn't save another dime. But now if I apply that rule of 72, if I've been getting a 12% return, my money's going to double every six years. So in six more years when I'm 51, that 250 doubles, and now I got 500,000. And then in six more years at 57, I'm a cash millionaire. And all I did was save $250 a month just for, that's less than most people's car payment when they're 25 years old. And I just did that. So that's the difference between buying a used car and a new car. Just, just that difference right there, you buying used versus new can make you a millionaire uh, just in that one little example right there. So that's what I mentioned when I started with my grandson at age at, at 14 days old. We started with $250 a month. So check this out. Commissioner at 20, at age 20, he's gonna have a quarter of a million dollars. That's 250000 And then if I stop right there, then in six years when he's 26, that's gonna be a half a million. And in six more years when he's 32, he's a millionaire. So guys, that's the how little bitty things like that can change the whole trajectory, not only of one person's life, but a whole family's life just by teaching them little bitty things right there. So now at age 20, as I just mentioned, if that same person, no matter where they come from, if they just start investing a little bit of that, well, what if I ain't got $250 a month? What if you got $50 a month? Man, that right there can send that person, that kid to college, that can send them to wherever they wanna go just by learning to do small things early on in their life. Mr. Jones, thanks for that information. Like I went to MBA school and I'm sure they mentioned these theories, but the way you broke it down and explained it in a real practical example, man, I feel like I got a whole college worth of education real quick. I'm going to spread that to the youngsters. And uh, if you're online, any platforms, I'm going to tell them to make sure they check you out. All right. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks. Hey, Corey, I'm going to slide one more in right quick if I could, man. Yeah, go ahead. Then I, I'm going to come right behind you with the oop. So you got Mr. Jones up here. He's bringing that knowledge. Okay. As a business owner and a nonprofit founder, right, what type of small business retirement plans can owners offer employees and are there any tax advantages for these businesses by doing so? I remember Nelson mentioning something to that effect. I was just wondering, could you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely, man. That's a that's a really, really good question. And thank you for bringing that up, because as small business owners, number one is that, first of all, make sure that they are properly, you know, they look at their business and see how they're set up. OK, make sure that, you know, where we really miss it a lot is when we starting out as a small business, we might come in as being a sole proprietor and never change that. So now we paying taxes as an individual, not as a corporation. And so you paying. So now you got all of your income is going to be taxed, um, you know, at a very high level. The higher your income goes, 
you still paying taxes it's just like i am a just like i'm an you know almost like i'm an employee because you can get the, your schedule c deductions well i'm not gonna get a, i'm not a tax advisor so let me let me stay in my lane okay but so but but one of the things you want to do make sure that you get yourself set up properly um as some type of llc or s corp you know depending on talk to a tax advisor talk to a cpa and make sure that you get the proper designation for your business where number one you can take advantage of all the tax advantages that, that are available to you but that's all going to depend upon your business structure in terms of what type of of uh, tax advantages you can get but now but with that being aside so now let's talk about some of the types of accounts that you can use to be able to do that so now if you are self-employed then you qualify for a few so now if you have no employee if you're self-employed and you have no employees so let's just say if I'm a real estate agent, just using that as an example, and it's just me, I'm self-employed, but I don't have any employees, then I can use a solo 401k, what they call a solo K. And that allows me to be able to put in the maximum up to $19,500 a year. That changes year by year. And I can, on top of that, I can match and I can have corporate matching, which is I'm still the corporation, but I can still match my contributions where I could even put in more money, you know, on top of that, if I'm trying to max out contributions. So therefore, that means that now, but might be contributing to that employer sponsor plan, even though that I am the corporation, because I'm contributing to that. Now, that is a major tax deduction because you're not being taxed on all of your income. So if I made 50,000 and I put in 10,000 into my 401k, now that's a now now I'm only reporting that I made 40,000. So that might put me in a whole different tax bracket because I'm not paying taxes on all of my income. So that's if I don't have any employees. So that can be in any, in any type of industry. Now, but what if I do have employees, okay? Then you can also you can still do a 401k um, but and then there are different types of 401ks that you can do that, but they can get so now when you start looking at 401ks, more expenses start to come in there. Uh, but now you can offer that gives you an opportunity to be able to offer a retirement plans to your employees where they can contribute as well. If you don't want to, if need something a little simpler than a 401k, then you can offer you can do something called a SEP, an SEP. Again, so now that a lot of that is going to depend on whether you got employees or not, which where that's going to to make the most biggest difference for you in terms of what makes the most sense for my corporation. If I use a SEP, a simplified employee pension plan, then if I use that, if I have no employees, then I can put in 25% of my income, and that is gets you a major tax deduction that you're going to be getting in your corporation. Because once again, that if I make 100,000, I put 25% in, man, that's going to lower my taxable income dramatically. So I'm not paying income tax on all of my income. So that's another big, big deal right there. But now if I do have employees, now here's a kicker right here. If I do have employees, now here's the thing about opening up a SEP if I have employees. Because what the rule is there is that whatever percentage that I put in for my, for my retirement, I have to apply, I have to contribute the same percentage to each employee that I have. That's not optional. You, you can't say, well, I'm going to put in 10% for me, but then I'm going to ask my guys if they want to contribute. No, in a SEP, they don't get to contribute at all. All contributions come from the employer. And it has to be the same percentage. But now notice, if you make 100000 but you're only paying your employee 25000 well, 10% of 25000 that's only $2,500 for the entire year. So it's not like you putting in 10% of your salary. 
you're only putting in 10% of that person's salary. Okay, making sense? But the advantage of that as well is that what do you, but why would you want to do that? Number one, it helps to retain some of your top employees. Because when you're a small business owner, most small business owners, it's hard to get good people. And when you get them, it's hard to retain them because even if you pay them good money, if somebody else, down, if another employer down the street offer them the same money plus benefits, they're gone, okay? So even a retirement plan. So that's why, but now, even if you put in that $2,500 for them for that year, that's still another tax deduction in addition to the tax deduction that you get from them from the from what you contributed to your own plan. So it didn't really cost you 2,500 because you get to write off a lot of that contribution that you made for each employee as well. And so, so that's your SEP, that's your 401k. You can also do something called a simple IRA. I won't go into all the rules and regulations on each one of those. We can always do that offline because this can go on and on and on. But, but, but though the SEP, there's a simple and there is a 401k plan. Those are going to be your main three that you can use. And there's all, all more little nuances to each one of those that you can get into. But, uh, but that's why you want to, when you do have a business, then you want to sit down with somebody. There's two people that you want to have in your life. One is a great CPA, okay? Not, or, or, or a tax professional. Even if that person is not a CPA, you want to have a tax professional not just a tax preparer. Did you hear what I just said? There's a big difference between a tax preparer and a tax professional. A tax preparer is somebody that took the H&R block course, right? And they just doing taxes on the side just to make a little extra hustle. And all they're doing is taking your information, entering it in on a computer, in a computer program, and they spit it back out to you and says, okay, you owe $2,000 in state and you owe $500 in federal or you getting back this or that. All they're doing is just preparing the information that you give to them. They're not involved in the critical thinking aspect of it, which is now I need to start advising you, number one, on what type of business structure that you need, as we just talked about, to be able to give you the maximum uh, tax advantages for your type of corporation. You know, what type, what, what things are you eligible to be writing off? What, let's be creative. You know, I'm not saying being, you know, you know being, being a crook, but I'm saying that there are all kinds of ways that you can be creative in terms of things that you can do to write off certain things in your business. That's what a tax professional is there for, because they know the laws. They know the laws of your state. They change it every single year. They can find different ways to how you can put yourself in the best position to where you're not paying Uncle Sam more than your fair share. So that's why you want to have a tax professional. The second person that you want to have in your life is a great financial advisor. And those two don't do the same thing, okay? Sometimes people think, well, I got a good CPA, I got a good tax person, and I get their financial advice from them. And notice I said, I'll stay in my lane. I know a little thing, I know a few things about taxes, but that's not my expertise. My expertise is investment and retirement planning. So the same thing. So, but if so, I usually I usually partner with when I'm working with a business owner, I'm going to partner with them to make sure that they have a good CPA where the two of us can kind of partner together to make sure that we're working together to give that business owner the best investment options as well as the best re, uh, retirement planning options as well as the, the, the best tax advantages they're going to be getting for that corporation. Uh, so you need both of those. And real quick, what is the advantage of having a CPA versus a regular accountant? Like, why should you have a CPA? 
Well, the CPA, and let me put it this way, the CPA designation just means that they've had more schooling, right? They've had to pass some very difficult exams to be able to get that CPA license, okay? But now, I, I can take a person that has a lot of experience being a tax professional and, and, have, and put them in the same category, I'm talking just from my opinion now, as somebody that has that designation behind their name. Because you can have a person that has a designation behind their name, but just don't really have a lot of experience doing what you need them to do. And it's still don't really going to get you where you want to be. Okay. So same thing in our profession, you can have a person that has the CFO, you know, all kind of, you know, you know, titles behind their name, but if there's, but there's hardly no substitute for experience. So I want to have somebody that, that, that really knows what they're doing and they're a professional at what they do, as opposed to just somebody that's got a lot of titles, but they still don't, don't really have much experience doing what I need them to do for me. Thank you, sir. Instead of putting my money in savings account, I was investing. So the problem that I had was, let's say I had an emergency that came out. I needed a couple thousand real quick. You know, I'm looking at that stock money on Robinhood. I'm like, mm, I can get this like in a day or two. But I feel like the problem that we have is that we get, we put the money in and it looks good and then it grows. But then obviously for me, it seems like every time the market starts crashing, an emergency somehow creeps up, then I take my money out. And then when I try to reinvest it, I'm basically chasing my tail, trying to average down. So what advice would you give for brothers that, you know, we're trying to invest, you know, a lot of different um, advisors and accountants say, you know, try to invest more than you save. But I, but the problem that I run into is when I invest more than I save, when some trouble comes up, when emergency comes up, I'm taking that money out. And then obviously whenever I take the money out, I swear it's always down. So can you just give us some advice on that? Man, Corey, that is so awesome, man. Thank you for bringing that up because I would have been kicking myself if we didn't have that discussion um, when we got off this. Because I've been driving home and just like, man, I wish somebody had brought this part up right here. So I'm glad that you did because, and here's what I tell everybody. There's a big difference between just owning good investments and having a financial plan. Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody got a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? And, and that's what you just talked about. That's what you just said. Man, I had a plan. Boy, I got these investments. And boy, look at them, look at them grow. Look at them grow. And then you get punched in the mouth. How do you get punched in the mouth? The commissioner didn't punch you. But, you know, but, but man, but, but, but guess what happened? You know, when, when something goes wrong at the house, when that air conditioning goes out, and now it's, it's 90 degrees outside, and now it's 90 degrees inside your house, you said you just got punched in the mouth, right? When, when you look at those tires, man, you can see the air inside those tires. You know, like, okay, maybe, I said, maybe, I, maybe we might need some new tires. And then you go down there like I just did, and it says, oh, that would only be about $1,800 for a new set of tires. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's a punch in the mouth. So, what, so where are you going to get that? What are you going to do about that? So here's a plan. Guys, you got to start with having a plan, not just owning good investments. So the first thing that you want to do, number one, is that you got to start with a good emergency fund. When a person comes to me and says, Lester, I got, you know, I heard you talk about investing and say, I got this thousand dollars and I want you to start investing. My nephew did that to me. He called me because he had been on one of my on, on one of my training classes and he said, he's an uncle, I want to start investment. I got thousand dollars. You know, what, what can you put in? What kind of stocks can you buy? And I said, you know, how much you got in the emergency fund? Well, this is it. I want to take this. I said, no, you don't, dog. That's not where we start. Okay. So where we got to start is building that emergency fund. 
but 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 man, but if I don't get in on these shots right now, I'm gonna miss out. No, you what you're gonna do, you're gonna put it in, you can do exactly what Corey just talked about. As soon as that, as soon as something happens, you're gonna be going right back in there. So basically, you want to get to that emergency fund, you want to have before I even start doing any investing at all, as a minimum, I want to have about $2,500 in my emergency fund. That's my minimum that I want to start before I do any investing, even in my 401k. If I'm talking to my 22-year-old daughter and she says, Daddy, I'm just getting started. It was my very first paycheck. And they tell me I can start in my 401k. I'm saying, baby, before you start putting a dime in that 401k, let me see your emergency fund, okay? You got $14 in your emergency fund. You ain't fixing to start putting nothing in that 401k yet until you start building that emergency fund, okay? Let's get to that $2,500 there. And now we can start splitting that. So now let's just say if she's got, she said, okay, dad, I'm going to do that $250 a month that you talked about. All right. So now in the beginning, every dime of that $250 is going in that emergency fund. Now, what I recommended for that, there's two different types of accounts. One, if you're looking at banks, I'm not anti-bank, but my I look at my bank account commissioner as being that put and take account. Okay. I put it in, I take it out. So that's where a savings account is really for. I got quick access to it. You know, if I need it, if I'm on the side of the road, I can use my debit card and boom, I got access to it right then. But I don't want that to be my emergency fund. I want my emergency fund to be in a money market account. Because in the beginning, I need to have that layer between me and my money, that buffer right there. Because it might take an extra day to get that money from my money market account into my hands or into my bank account to where it's where I can use it right then. So if I can, so if I give myself that day or two delay, what that's going to do until I really develop great saving habits, until I until that becomes just a, a part of me that just become a part of my nature, then I've got to I, I got to put some things in place. I got to put some shields in place to make sure that I don't see everything as an emergency. Okay, I had a bad week on my job. And now, you know, by the weekend comes around, I tell my wife, baby, you know, this has been a rough week. This happened, this happened. Let's just go to, let's go spend a, get along for a long weekend and let's go kick back, man. And we're going to do this and that. And, but look here, I look over in the bank account and we got an extra thousand dollars. I'm going to take that out. That wasn't no emergency, right? But because I have, don't have the discipline because of the habits that I've developed about, about money now, because I get such quick access to it, I can just use it right there. But that was not an emergency. Okay, so I want to have that that money market account separate, and that goes in from my brokerage. So I want to open up. I want to have that in in a brokerage account, not in a, not in my bank, to where I got where I'm building that up that twenty five hundred. So all in the beginning, that full two hundred and fifty dollars a month is going to build up that in that money market account. Okay, now once I got that build up, now I'm going to start telling her. So now the next thing I want to do. Is take a maybe let's split that off a little bit. Let's take a portion of that, maybe fifty dollars a month, and we're gonna start building up your short-term savings. What, what's the difference? That short-term savings, Corey, is that now I know that how do I? At some point, I am gonna have to get me another car. At some point, I do want to take a nice vacation. At some point, I want to start doing some things. I, I do have some things come up that I know my kids are going to need. That I, maybe I didn't save them enough for them college. Uh, for their college expenses, but I know in three years he's going to be starting college, and at least I can have enough to be able to, you know, fix up his dorm room, or I got enough to be able to get him a new laptop computer. You, you see what I'm saying? 
But that's three to five years down the road. That's my short-term savings that I'm going to be building up there. So I've got another investment strategy that I'm going to be using there because that money I'm not planning to use for the next three to five years. So I need that to be earning at least enough interest to be keeping pace with inflation and taxes. Okay. So that's why I'm typically going to use municipal bond funds because those are going to grow federally tax-free. And I'm typically going to average somewhere between three or 4%. And in, in a typical year, that's about, that's about what inflation is. Not this year, but that's typically where inflation is. So therefore, I know that I can still beat taxes and inflation. And so if I, and, and that, that way, when that time comes, guess what that's going to mean? Now, when, I, when I'm ready to, to get another car, if I am ready to go take that vacation, whatever that might be, I have already planned for that. And you see, guys, guys, when you plan for things, you see bad things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to people with money and bad things happen to people without money. The only difference is when you got money, when bad things happen, it just become a nuisance. When you got no money, everything becomes a crisis. Everything in your life is a crisis. But when you got money, it didn't mean that bad things didn't happen is that you can just write a check and keep it moving, okay? And then the last thing, then the last step then is that now I'm ready to start investing for that for those long term where you start wealth building type thing. Now I can start putting money into that 401k. And now, so my rules on that is you want to start putting in at least amount of money is your corporation that's going to match. If their company is matching you 4%, you have to, by all means, be putting in at least 4% because that's gifting you money. That's a hundred percent return on your money right off the bat because that's money that they're giving you. So if you're putting in less than that, that is total asinine. That's like me coming to you, Corey, and say, "Hey, man, how about if I just give you a couple of hundred dollars a month with no strings attached, right? And you just put that right in your investment?" Corey says, "Shoot, man, I, not me. I ain't taking no two hundred dollars a month to put in no investment. Ain't no way in the world I'm gonna do that. See, that's crazy. It's just somebody will take him immediately and have him tested." Right. It's because, see, that don't make any sense. But that we're doing the same thing when we're not putting money into our 401k and at least to the point of their matching. Now, the next rule, once you get to that point of matching. OK, so let's just say they're matching you 4 percent and now you're putting in 4 percent. But you said, but listen, I can afford to be investing 10 percent. Now is where you want to say, but well, what do I do with that other six? Now, this is when you want to start talking with a financial advisor and start talking to, does it make more sense then to put that extra 6% in my 401k? Or would it make more sense to take that extra 6% and put, open up a Roth IRA and start trying to max out my Roth? The difference being a Roth IRA, as long as you qualify, you meet the qualifications, meaning that you, you own that Roth IRA for at least five years before you start taking the money out and you reach age 59 and a half, then all of everything in that account then becomes tax-free when you start taking it out. So you can have a completely tax-free retirement, money coming out of a Roth. Putting money into your 401k, that means the money grows tax-deferred. Now, the big difference there is whatever you put into that 401k. So if you put in $6,000 for that year in your 401k and you made $50,000 on your job, then that $6,000 is a straight line deduction. So that means you only report to Uncle Sam that you made forty-four thousand, not fifty thousand. So that's the so now you lower your taxable income, and then the interest that you earn on that investment it grows completely tax deferred, meaning that you're not having to pay taxes on the interest and capital gains every single year 
That's like taking one step forward and then have to take a half a step back because you got to pay taxes. You get to eliminate that by putting money in the 401k because your money grows tax deferred. Now, the differences between that and a Roth, when you get to retirement and your money, your 401k, when you start taking money out is when that money is going to be taxed. But in a Roth IRA, then you don't pay any taxes on any withdrawals because now it becomes completely tax free. So that's where that's some of the differences between those. And sometimes it makes sense to have both. So that really is where you need a financial advisor to kind of help you along with a really good tax professional to to narrow that down to your situation specifically to see what's best for you. Wow. Great information. And I have to ask you this, man. And you let me know if you can even answer this or not, because I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time from brothers. They say, man, you know, those accountants, those financial planners, they just getting rich off of your money. They're you making them rich. They're not really helping you out. And I hear that all the time. What's your thoughts on that? Hey, you know what? I uh, I definitely understand why a person would think that. OK, because see, when you look at um, when you start thinking about it, we always ask this. The first thing that we ask when somebody comes to a financial advisor and says, OK, what are your fees? OK, but I have never gone to the doctor when I'm sitting there in pain. Right. And I'm just sitting there thinking I'm about to die. And but before but but doc, before you do anything, what's your fee? What's this going to cost me? Right. How, how much this operation going to cost me? You know, if we go ahead, if, if, you, if you start this right now, before you write any prescription, what is this thing going to cost before you're going to do that? See, here's the thing, guys. We got to change our way of thinking, okay? You see, price isn't only an issue in the absence of value. The reason that we don't go in and, and challenge a doctor in terms of how much they, how much they charge is because we see enough value there. And we don't, the reason that we don't go to the dentist and it says, well, every time that they work on you, we say, well, how much that's going to be before you start working on my mouth is that because you see enough value in there. OK, so when when you go to a financial advisor, it needs to be the same way. I am I'm willing to pay for something that I am not skilled at. So it, and that's what we've got to understand is that if you're looking at it, you say, well, I could go in and learn investing myself by the time you learn it then it's, but you're my age. It's already going to pass you. You see, the thing about it is we don't, Corey, we don't know what we don't know. And so you thinking that you're doing a good job managing your own money and you have no idea about all the things that you're missing out on just because you're not dealing with a professional. So guys, you not, you know, if, if when you're working with a financial professional, if it's a true financial professional, I tell anybody all day long, if I'm not making you more money than I'm making, then you got a great point. Then you need to fire me right off the bat. But I can guarantee you this: over a period of time that you're working with me, then you definitely you just let's take a look at the difference, and I'll show you exactly what I made. And now let's take a look at how much that you've made from my advice, and 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 to see if you want to trade. Okay, I'll put that in writing. Okay, work with me for the next five years, and we'll go on a written contract. Since we're so concerned about how much that I'm going to make, we're going to a written contract. And after five years, if I have made more off of you than what I have made for you, we'll switch. How about that? Then let's switch it. Then I'll take I'll take what I made from you and you will take what you've made from me. So let's do that. See, guys, it's not a matter of when we are not. When, see, people are usually down on what they're not up on. OK, because we have not really ever worked with a professional. 
then we seem to just think we hear what other people hear. We repeat what other people say without really investigating it to see if this is really in my best interest or not. All right. So this is Kalali out of Maryland. So I got, I got, this might be an abstract question, but as I've been sitting here listening to you talking and you've been given a wealth of knowledge, the reason ain't no questions is because you've been given a wealth of knowledge. We taking this knowledge in, we trying to, we trying to gather up these gems, but, um, uh, I have a question that might be a little abstract, like just as an advisor, how would you, I guess, measure value? So like when you were talking before you were talking about value, like how do you measure value? Like, how do you measure, um, let's say, when to make a purchase of something other than like a necessity, right? Like something you might want or something you might, you, you know, you might be haven't been looking at for a while or whatever. Like, how do you measure the value of whether it's worth to purchase something as opposed to, say, taking that money and doing something else with it, like um, investing it or, or saving it or something like that? Yeah, I know. I mean, we all have expendable, you know, uh, uh, we all have expendable money that we just, you know, that we can just spend on things like that. But even inside of that money, is there is there any kind of strategy that you might use um, to measure value on purchasing or, or acquiring a thing? Yeah, that's really a good question. It's not a, too abstract at all. So the first thing that you want to that you that you want to do then is just says, hey, let's start. You want to begin with the end in mind. OK. Think about if you had a jigsaw puzzle, which I'm terrible at, right? But if you take that jigsaw puzzle and you put all the pieces down on the floor and you just, and you just got, and now you got the 500 pieces of, of just a jigsaw puzzle pieces just all over the floor, okay? Now, what would you say is the most important piece out of all the pieces on the floor uh, to putting that jigsaw puzzle together? What do you think the most important part of putting together a jigsaw puzzle? I usually go for the borders, the corners. <laughs> Okay, that's a good answer. How about the first uh, the first mess that you have? Like, okay, now I may have missed, let me ask that in a different way. What would you say is the key for a person to be good at putting together oh, a jigsaw puzzle? What do you have to, what do you think are the most important things to putting that together? Oh yeah, I would say like what you're saying, like having the picture, like knowing what, the, what it's Boom. called. Boom, like, there it is, the box. The box is the most important piece out of everything for that putting together that box. Because if you don't know what the end result is supposed to look like, then you have no idea what the pieces, how to put each piece together. Okay. So that's what you've got to start looking at right from the very beginning. If you got to say, before you start to try to make decisions on, should I buy this or should I invest in this? What are you trying to accomplish, brother? What, what is the end result you're trying to get to? So you got to begin with the end in mind, right? So if you're saying that, hey, by the time I'm 50 years old, I want to be a cash millionaire, then you've got to understand, well, what is it going to require in order for me to accumulate a million dollars by the time I'm 50 years old? Or if you said that I want to have a six-figure residual income by the time I'm 40 years old then you got to start asking yourself, what, what will require, what are the things that I can be doing to accumulate as residual income? So you said, well, you know what? That's my goal. I want to have a six-figure residual, not on my job, but six-figure residual income, meaning income that continues to come into me that I don't have to work for anymore. So now if that's your goal, now you start to sit down and then you came to me and you says, you know, I'm trying to decide whether I want to go buy this buy this new BMW and it's going to cost me $1,000 a month in a payment.
But you know what? I got it. I can afford it. I'm just like, okay, can, what does afford mean to you? Yeah, yeah, you can get, you can make that, write that check every single month, but can you do that and still put in what you need to be investing every single month to get you to a million dollars by the time you turn 50? Or is that, is that BMW going to create a residual income for you? Because that's what you're investing in. You're investing in that vehicle. Is that going to create a residual income for you? You see, guys, what the one of the thing about us as in our community, we haven't been taught what assets really, what, what really is. You know, so when we're thinking about it back in the 50s, there was a big deal out there talking about, you know, that black people just didn't make enough money. So if you look at the black community versus other communities, and you can fill in the blank, and it says, you know, there was a big income gap. You know, we just weren't making near as much money. So we, so we can put it on that core. We just said like, hey, we don't have the same opportunities because, you know, they're making, for me making 50,000, they're making 75, they're making, you know, 80,000 for every 50,000 I'm making. So, you know, the, the, the playing field is not level. But let's talk about 2000s now. You know, there is no more, the income gap has closed, but the wealth gap has really widened. It is, it is like a, in a sea that had just opened up, just like, you know, when Moses came in part of the Red Sea. You know, that's what has happened with us when it talking about creating wealth. You see, because our mind is more focused on what we see as wealth. You know, when you look at our community, here's how, we, here's how it is. Guys, our wealth is comprised in three different areas. If you start looking at us, and our wealth is either we're driving it, we're wearing it, or we're living in it. That's where our wealth is, guys. And that's how we see it. We're driving it, we're wearing it, or we're living in it. And that's how we see as wealth. You see, but none of those things are, are assets. You go buy that BMW today, brand new, and you pay $85,000 for that BMW. And now six weeks later, that $85,000 car is worth $65,000. And you said, man, that was a great investment. Have you lost your mind? That's not an investment. Brother, that is that is money that's going right down the drain. And now, now you tell me, how is that going to increase your wealth? How is that going to get you where you need to be? You need to go back and look at that box. So that's where you got to start. It says, what is it that I want to accomplish? And then once you see what you want to accomplish, is it trying to retire by the time you're 60 or you're 50 years old with having a couple of million dollars that you've accumulated? Is having a residual income, a six-figure residual income, where you can put yourself in a position where no man can put their thumb on your head and be able to tell you what to do with your life? You see, that's what it's really all about, guys. We got to start thinking in terms of we got to be free. You know, and free is not just going up and say, see, you, you don't really understand what that means. And, and, and when you start talking about, man, I got a good job, you know, I make really good money. I live in a really nice neighborhood. I drive a really nice car. Man, look, I got Gucci this. My wife got Louis Vuitton, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you got all these great, beautiful things, but are you free? You see, there is nothing greater in the world than, a, than being, being in the presence of a free man. You see, because when you begin in the presence of a free man, then you're going to change. Your whole thinking is going to change. The way you relate to anything about yourself is going to change because you just are like, wow, man, I desire that more than the next breath is to be free. And being free is that I can put myself in a position where no man can put their thumb on my head and be able to tell me when my kid gets sick, then you know what? They tell you, no, you can't take off and go and take care of your child. What do you mean? I'm a grown A man. You're going to try to tell me that I can't go take care of my children? Yes. No, no, you cannot because I own you. See, you got to put yourself in a position to where you got enough streams of income coming in where no man 
can put their thumb on your head and be able to dictate to you where the values that you need to have in your life, whether that's taking care of your family, whether that's taking care of your kids, whether that's you being able to do things, whether you being able to give, you being able to be uh, you know, a pillar in your community, you want to be that person that people look to and be that go-to person in your family. You see, if those things are meaningful to you, then how are you going to get there is by starting with a plan. You see, Corey, you got me fired up now. Okay, I feel. Oh, I feel let's my go, baby. Coming on right now. Oh yeah, hey, 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 <laughs> and I'm about to fire you up. We more after the next question. I'm about to say this is right, the last. Say keep on going because you 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 getting to the point now. This is what this kind of stuff I want to hear right here. You get me fired up now, man. You look, I'm starting sweating and everything, bro. Man, man, he been getting to the points. He just he just getting real with it now. And all right, wait. You know what? We keeping it real right now. What does black people need to do generationally to get out of the spilled water pitcher mentality? Do you, and do you know what I mean when I say spilled water pitcher mentality? I'm thinking that crab mentality, crab in a bucket mentality. But explain to me where you, yeah, I, you've heard that one before, right? Yeah, but no, that's not what I'm saying. Mine okay, is, no, no, it's I, kind I, of I like, heard that one then. All right. So basically I was in a store, I was in a jewelry store and the lady came up to me and she was trying to help me out. And to make a long story short, she said on the first and the 15th, when black people come in here, they have water pitcher money. I said, what do you mean? She says, when you open your hands out and you pour that water in your hand, as quickly as that pitcher is full, it's just as empty. So on the 1st and the 15th, her goal is to pour it out in your hand and she get the residuals on that. How can we get out of this generational mentality? Because we, we talk about generational wealth, we talk about generational poverty, but we don't talk about these generational mentalities that seem to get passed down generationally. Can you just touch on that? Yeah, man, that's a great one. See, I think that it's, it's hard to be a man until you see a man. Because, see, we, we have such different thought processes in terms of what success looks like. Okay. And that talks on what I just talked about is that we see success by what somebody is wearing and what somebody is driving and all those kind of things, you see, but what we've got to do is what you guys are doing right now. That's why I applaud you so much for doing this is because you, we have to have a paradigm shift. You see, Corey, a mind is, you know, when you go in and you start talking to somebody and you start trying to give them, you start telling people what you ought to start doing. If I just tell my kids, you better start saving $250 a month, you know, I might force them to do that. But soon as they're in a position to where they're not under my thumb anymore, they're not going to do it anymore. Because, see, here's one of my lesser isms. You see, a mind changed against his will is of the same opinion still. Okay? A mind changed against his will is of the same opinion still. So until we start changing the mindset of our brothers and sisters, then we're always going to have that mentality of, I got to live for today. And that's all I got to do is I got to put this projection that I am successful. I just want people around me, when they look at me, they believe that I'm successful and but have no definition of what real success actually looks like. So that's what I think we've got to start getting people exposed to real information and start changing the mindset. You got to have a paradigm shift. So when I, because you and I can be looking at the exact same thing. But we can look at it. We can both see a car accident. And but when we go back and tell the story, we tell it completely different because we saw it from different angles. My paradigm was completely different from yours 
even though we saw the exact same event. So if I grew up in an environment to where what, what, was, what was told to me and what was projected to me on social media and what we're being projected out there in the NBA, the NFL, and, and, we, and we're putting those out there as being the pictures of success, and we see that is the only way that we're going to get there, then yes, that's going to be, I'm, I'm going to be trying to do everything I can to emulate those images that I see as what a successful black man looks like. But when I, but what if I can put myself in an environment like what you're creating right now, and we start to see that's not what it is. It's not about what you look like today. It's what you look like 20 years from now. It's what you start to learn some delayed gratification. It says, hey, hey, I'm willing to, I'm willing to drive a Toyota today. You see that where, where I can drive a Bentley down the road. I'm willing to drive something a little bit less today to where not only can I eat down the road, but my kids will never have to worry about where their meals are going to come from. You see, these are the kind of things that you want to start changing the way that we think such that we can be in a position to really start changing our community. But it's got to start as a man thinking. We've got to start changing how we think, because if we don't change how we think, our actions are never going to change. Before we leave, could you explain to people that may not value the importance of having a will? Like, why should someone mm-hmm. have a will? A lot of our folks are scared to talk about this stuff because, you know, you're trying to kill me or you want me to die early. But people are going to die. So can we talk about that just briefly? Yeah, man. Thank you for bringing that one up. Um, y'all let me know when you got like a half a day where we can just sit down and, and break down all this stuff, man, because you're right. I am a teacher. I love to teach. And these subjects right here are just so, so critically important. So, yes, let's talk about why it's so important to have a will. Um, because if you don't have one, the state has one for you. And so that is where we've got to start thinking. So think about it like this. When a person passes away, there's a few things that let me let me just start from the from, from the top. Here's some things I just want to give you these. You can write this down. When as an adult individual, there's three things you want to have. Number one, you need to have a will, a last will and testament. Then I'm going to come back and, and talk about each one of them. The second thing that you want to have is that you, you want to have a durable power of attorney. And then the third thing is that you want to have a medical directive or what they call a living will. Those are the three, those are the three legal documents that every grown person should have, okay, should have in place. They all have their individual places in that. Okay, so if a person does not have a will, then you, you, then you die intestate, which means that now in, if for anything that you, that you own, any assets that you have, that don't have a beneficiary attached to it now becomes a part of your estate. Now, from the south, well, I, I live in the south, so we've been. You gotta understand how how country people talk. So when we came along, you know, as black people, we usually have people say, "Well, if you die, all your stuff gonna go to the state." No, it doesn't go to the state. It goes to your estate. But because we don't enunciate, that's how things have been passed on. And it's just because of bad grammar. But if your stuff don't go to the state, but now it can go to the state, right? If that goes to a situation to where it goes into probate and, and things never get claimed. So let me show you how that can happen. So I'm going to give you a real life example. I have a client to where uh, the husband, his wife had already died before him. So he was a, he was a widower. Okay. And he had about uh, about $2,200 in a bank account with just his name on it, right? He had a daughter that was, that was the only, he was the only child that he has a daughter 
And so when he passed away, then he did not have a will. He had that $2,200 in his bank account now is that now she's thinking, I can just go and take a, a death certificate and go down to the bank and say, I'm his daughter. I'm his only last, you know, that's his next heir. Uh, so I should be able to get that money. Well, it's not that simple. So because he didn't have a will, then that means that that $2,200 become part of his estate. So now his estate has to go through probate. So that means that she then, the daughter, has to go hire a probate attorney. And it's going to cost about $3,000 to settle his small estate. So now she's in a dilemma. Do I pay an attorney $3,000 to inherit $2,200? Would you? Okay. You would not. That's not good math. So therefore, that money then, it just goes and goes unclaimed, and that's how it becomes a part of the state. And now you later learn, you say, hey, and then you you see these shows sometimes where they say, well, hey, we got all this money out here, and it's never been claimed, and so we put it out there. And that, so that's how that kind of stuff happens. So one of the things that you want to do, even with this, is if, even with your own bank account, Okay, Corey, one of the things that you want to do, a commissioner, what you want, you know, when I see the name commissioner, I was, I'm, I'm ready to start saluting and everything. And every time I see that, man, it's just a natural, because I got the military in me. I, every time I see that, now I just, my hand just, it's just an automatic instinct just kind of goes out as a salute. But anyway, so, but, but when you want to do it, even with your bank account, you need to get a TOD on your bank account. That's a transfer on death on your bank accounts. That means that that person that you put on there doesn't have access to your bank account. I see people make that mistake as well, that, you know, you might have, especially elderly people, like my, let's just say my mother, she says, okay, well, I'm just going to go put my kids on my bank account where if something happened to me, then they can, you know, they got access to my bank account. Well, here's the problem with that, Commissioner. When you put somebody else as a joint owner on your bank account, that means that that person has full access because they totally own that account with you. Where that can become problematic is that what if I got bad credit? What if I don't pay my bills? Okay, now this is mama's, my mother's money, right? This is her real bank account. But she put me on, on there as a, joint, as a joint owner on that account. Let's just say I got behind on my income taxes. I owe the IRS, and I keep not paying the IRS. Well, here's one thing you know about the IRS. The IRS is gangster. They will come for you, okay? They will straight come for you. And so one of the things, that they're one of the few entities that can garnish your wages and they can garnish your bank account without, with, without them having to take you to court, right? So after they give you so many notices, you don't, you don't, you don't get it, they come for your money. So they can actually start, they can go into your bank account and just completely wipe out your bank account. But you said, but, but what does they got to do with my mom? Because your name is attached to your mother's bank account, not only can they get your money out of yours, they can take all the money out of hers too. Because those your that is connected to your to your name and connected to your social security number. So anything that's connected to you, the IRS can come for it. Okay, so be very careful of who you put on your bank account. That just says, hey, I just want to have them on there. My kids, or if they got sued, right? Because your name is on there, or your wages get garnished. They get fall behind on child support. Any of those kind of things, they can come for that money. So that's why it's better to have a TOD 
when, and then use a durable power of attorney. Because with a durable power of attorney, Commissioner, well, that means then if I got into a situation to where I am, where I, uh, I am not in the state of mind, what if I got, had a stroke, I have dementia, I was in a bad car accident, I cannot take care of myself anymore, now I can use that durable power of attorney and I can go and do transactions, financial transactions. I can take over things. I can pay your bills. I can withdraw money. I can make fun. I can make decisions on your behalf because you have given me that legal right to do that. So, so those are things that's a much safer way to protect your assets and still be able to, uh, to be able to get business handled in the event that something were to happen to you to be able to do that. But, so that's why having a will, even with your kids, Okay, let's just say if I've got kids and and now me and my wife, me and my wife split up. Right. And but but let's just pretend well, not. I, I can't even put myself in that situation. But let's just say if a, if a woman have a deadbeat dad. Right. And so the dad is not taking care of business the way that they should. Now, they, they got kids together. But because the mom does not have a will, if she were to pass away, then who gets the kids? Well, then you can say, well, it automatically goes to the goes to the dad. But what if the dad is a deadbeat dad? Because see, not only usually it not only does the dad get the kid, but dad gets the check. Because see, when something happens, that there's usually money that comes along with those kids, and sometimes the deadbeat dad will come back into the picture just to get the check. He don't really want the kids; he just wants the check. So that's why having a will is so important for you to be able to designate. Who takes care of my children? You don't want to be able to put even on even on your bank account or your investment account. Don't name your minor kid on your investment account or your bank account as a beneficiary. Because if you do that, if you name your kids as a beneficiary, you are to pass away. Your kid's only 10 years old. So they cannot inherit that money and have it paid to them. So who controls that money is whoever has, has custodianship of your child. So if that deadbeat dad is the custodian of that child, then he's also the one that's going to be making decisions on what happens to that money that you left for that child. Even if it was life insurance, we said, I'm leaving $100,000 life insurance policy, but I'm leaving my minor child as a beneficiary. Well, yeah, you do that, but now that 10-year-old child cannot get that. So that means that whoever the custodian of that child controls the money, not just the child. So- that's why you want to be very careful about having wills, having your durable power of attorney. You got to understand about how how to name beneficiaries. All those things come in there. So let's go back to your original question: was how do I understand is that why? How is that real value? Why would I pay somebody to to work with me as a financial advisor? Did you know all that? You see that little bitty that little bitty fee that you're paying a financial advisor. I promise you. Just the little nuggets that I'm giving my, my clients to be able to do those kind of things can, can save you so much daggum money. But, again, we don't know what we don't know. But we're trying to hold on to that $2 from paying a, paying a professional just to saying I can go research. I can Google that. Come on now. Man, we got to grow up. We got to start thinking like we got to start thinking wealth. We got to start thinking like wealthy people think. So 
I, that was a long way around answering your question about a will, but I hopefully that you got something out of that. Thank you, Lester Wade Jones, for coming on Black Men Sundays, brother. We appreciate you. We appreciate the knowledge. This is just part one. We're going to have you on next week, man. This conversation goes for at least another hour, and I can't let these listeners not get this information. So, Lester Jones, we have you for part two next week. Thanks for coming on Black Men Sundays, brother. Peace. Check it.